Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll and home of the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Yoko, I Duff McKagan. I got a guest, uh, Martin Favier, doing the joke this week. Let's go. How do you spell Mississippi in Italian? Emma, oh. come up first. Uh, Emma, come up first? Emma, come up first. Uh, I come up next. Uh, the two ass are coming together. I come again. Two ass are coming together again. I pee pee, and I come for the last time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. Uh, thanks to Duff and special guest Martin Fabier for the international joke of the week. And they're working blue this week with a ridiculous uh, uh, Italian accent. Uh, oh, my gosh. Anyways, they can't all be gems, but uh, Guns N' Roses, definitely uh, a gem. Hard School, their new song right behind Sane on the Billboard charts. And Guns N' Roses had to move their Mexico dates and their huge tour of Australia and New Zealand to next year. Uh, shutdowns and restrictions in those countries forced them to postpone, but new dates and ticket info are posted at gunsandroses.com. But the European leg of Fozzie's Save the World Tour is rolling in November, going over to Europe starting November 29th in Liverpool at the world-famous Cavern Club, of course, home of the uh, Beatles. I have to do a talk as Jericho at the Cavern Club. That may be kind of interesting. Manchester sold out, Glasgow sold out, Dublin sold out, Chester sold out, Swansea sold out, London sold out. Only tickets available for Belfast, Birmingham, Bournemouth, Nottingham, and, uh, and Liverpool. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and meet and greet information. Uh, one of the best of the business. We do a full uh, electric mini set for you, playing some songs you're not going to hear later on that night. Uh, reviews have been raving. So go get yours at FozzyRock.com. All right, today, Talk is Jericho. It's the return of documentary filmmaker and director Josh Zeman. This is probably his fifth or sixth time on the show. Josh is, be, is the guy behind Cropsy, The Sons of Sam, The Killing Season, Murder Mountain. He's got a brand new documentary out now in theaters and on demand, and it's not his usual true crime or horror subject matter. Josh's new doc is called The Loneliest Whale, The Search for 52, and it's his story about trying to find the one rare whale in the world that sings at a completely different frequency than every other whale. This whale emits calls at 52 hertz, and Josh will explain how and why that's different and why scientists believe this whale has spent its whole life in complete solitude. It's kind of lonely. Josh and a team of scientists embarked on a seven-day expedition to track this unique whale down. He's talking all about what it took to make the expedition happen, some of the things they ran into on the ocean waters during filming. Josh explains what interested him about the story in the first place, how he ended up partnering with both actor Adrian Grenier of Entourage and Leonardo DiCaprio to get it done. Of course, those two also involved with Eli Roth's Finn, which we discussed a couple months ago. But it's the story of the loneliest whale. The returning Josh Zeman right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So it's um, interesting because it's the return of Josh Zeman. And I was thinking of this. I think this is the fourth time you've been on Talk is Jericho. And it's all been for four very different topics and subjects of the documentaries you made. The first time was for uh, Urban Legends when you dealt with Cropsy. Then it was Murder Mountain talking about insane drug dealers in the Pacific Northwest. 
Then it was the son of Sam kind of revisiting the fact that uh, it wasn't just one killer, but it was a whole cult of son of Sam killers. And then out of nowhere, now we have the loneliest whale, the search for 52, which when I asked you just a few months ago, if you had any upcoming projects, you didn't even mention this one. (laughs) And this one is just as diverse as the other topics that we discussed uh, on earlier talk is Jericho. So kind of explain what exactly the loneliest whale is and how you got involved with this project. So the loneliest whale is this really interesting. It starts with a sound basically that uh, the U S government heard on these top secret microphones in uh, the early two thousands. And basically uh, we, the government used to have these microphones. They listen for all the submarines in the ocean. It's top secret. Nobody knows where the locations of the microphones are. There's dudes back in the government listening for all these different sounds. And we're trying to find basically submarines out there. And when the Berlin wall fell, they handed that situation over to scientists to look basically, you know, just to listen for whale calls so they can measure whale populations. And they heard this one sound at a 52 hertz frequency. They didn't know what it was. They actually originally thought it was a Russian submarine or maybe Chinese. Uh, And that's when this scientist over at Hui um, Woods Hole came in and said, no, I think it's a whale. Uh, They said, it can't be a whale. Whales don't call out at a 52 hertz frequency. And he's like, no, I think this is a very unique whale, a whale that calls out at a frequency that no other whale theoretically can understand. And although they'd never seen it, they tracked it for over 10 years as it swam through the oceans. And the story kind of came out uh, in a New York Times article. It became like a meme. Uh, That meme went around the world. Uh, uh, bands like BTS, the Korean boy band, created like a song about it for all these 14-year-old Korean girls. And it was like a pretty interesting thing. I first heard about it in a New York Times article. I read it and I was kind of like, wow, this is a sad story. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a filmmaker, right? So I go around, I pitch projects all the time and I tell people about this whale that swims through the ocean calling out, never receiving a response. And people, when I told them the story, they freak out. They would like grab my arm and say, tell me more. Or like people (sighs) cry or like their face would go pale. And I'm like, oh my God. What kind of story has this effect on people? It's really interesting. And so I started doing a little bit more research into it. You know, basically the idea of this lonely well, it's it's basically our own human fears reflected back at us, right? Our biggest fear is that Mm. none of us want to die alone. Uh, But here, that fear is placed on a whale. Now, whales are like very interesting creatures. First of all, if you've ever seen a whale, you remember the first time you've seen a whale. They're so huge. And so it kind of humbles us. And so that really led me to, to, to investigate the story more and get into sound in the ocean. And that's when I realized that there's this cool, whole nother mystery out there. Yes, yeah, true crime, but this is the mystery of the ocean. And it's super fascinating. Well, and just to kind of paraphrase what you just said is that it is super interesting because the idea that there's a whale who is singing its songs, and we all know the sound of a whale song, in a different frequency from every other whale. So when we're saying this is the loneliest whale, literally, original idea, thought, is that it's the only whale in the ocean that sings in this frequency and no other whales can hear it. So it literally is by itself with no other communication with any other whales in the ocean. That's correct, right? Yeah. And it's like this just crazy, unbelievably sad story. Heartbreaking. Yeah. (laughs) So, so once again, and and we we talk about this all the time, because it's very interesting to me how you even do these projects and get involved. So when, when you read the crux of this story and people are telling you to to please explain more, how do you take it from pitch stage to actually going on the ocean? Because I'll tell you one thing, the cinematography for this, is absolutely incredible. And I watched it on, on my home computer screen. It wasn't even in HD because you can't watch HD on, on my computer at least, but the, the shots from above, I'm assuming they're drone shots, whatever of these literal Leviathan massive creatures. It's breathtaking just from that aspect alone, but not even getting to that part. How do you get from pitch stage to actually being on the ocean and searching for the loneliest whale? 
So basically, I'm like, all right, this is a really interesting story. It, it affects a lot of people. It's a huge meme around the world. It has some global appeal. And what was and the meme? What, was that, what exactly was the meme? So the meme is like the story of the loneliest whale. Like you'll see it if you put in like loneliest whale. There's like people who create all these little, you know, memes about it. Yeah. And BTS writes a song about gotcha, it. Gotcha, gotcha. It goes just all around the world. It's like a viral kind of sensation, the story of this lonely whale. And I was like, okay, so it has this global appeal, right? And I'm like, this is really interesting. It's kind of like a mix of like underwater, like submarine stuff, which I really love. I love all that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cloak and dagger stuff. But it's this whale. And so I was like, well, maybe can we actually like go find this whale? And I grew up, you know, loving Jacques Cousteau. The guy's just totally cool. Right. And so, you know, and he's, he's going through all the oceans. I was like, well, maybe we could do kind of the same thing. And so I start to ask all these scientists, like, can we actually go find this whale? And they're laughing me out of the room. They're like, you have no idea how hard it is to find a whale. They're moving like 25 miles an hour. And we don't even know if this whale is still alive. But more and more I talk to them and more and more we get the idea. Maybe we're going to go on this quest, right? Nobody goes on quests anymore. You know, right now we don't really do that type of stuff anymore. Like this is Moby Dick. So uh, I I hook up with Adrian Gurnier, the guy from Entourage. Sure. Yeah, I saw his name on there. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I love this story. You know, he's big into the ocean and ocean stewardship. And he's like, okay, well, let's do a Kickstarter to see if we can get enough money to do the uh, now, expedition. Now, did you know Adrian from, from prior? Or did he? He's no, just, no. Had he's no just idea. He was just. He, He's just into whales and he's into ocean stewardship. Like he's into the environment. And you right? found this out through mutual friends or mutual or, friends. Yeah. Gotcha. Mutual so you friends. were connected I had a producing him. friend who knew him. Gotcha. Okay. Go ahead. So and do the Kickstarter. So, so I was like, Hey, do you think we can do this? He's like, yeah, let's, let's try it. So we start this Kickstarter and in the middle of the Kickstarter, DiCaprio hears about it and he's into the environment. So he gives us a little bit of money. And at that point, all the trades pick up the story DiCaprio saves loneliest whale. That was the headline. <laughs> on all, all the trades went out on the AP wire. And suddenly we started with $0 and we had $440,000 at the end of it to go wow. out on this seven day mission. And I went back to the scientist where I'd spoken to who kind of laughed me out of the room. And I said, look, I have a lot of money. You know, can we go do this thing? And they're like, okay, well, you know, we've never tracked a whale acoustically before you know and once we like listen in we can like hone into like generally where it is but then we got to go send rib hole inflatable boats out there to go tag the whale then prove that that's the whale that's making the sound so it's super complicated it's like a heist movie and so but they're like oh, but you know we've never done this before but you know it's this impossible mission and they're like okay let's go do it and so we went out for seven days into the channel islands well, first, interestingly enough, if you watch the film, there's this sequence where these folks at uh, NOAA who have been listening through this classified feed from the U.S. government, they have clearance and they can basically listen and they can filter out the sounds of the Russian submarines and our submarines because those signature sounds are classified. So they won't give us that information. Mm. We have to hire somebody who has classified clearance to go see if you can find the whale in all these sounds. And then from that, they basically tell us they can't hear the whale and they think the whale's dead. Well, they didn't know at that point I already had the $440,000 and I thought I was going to be the laughing stock of Kickstarter. Like I, mm-hmm. I would have to give back all this money. And as a result, you know, I was, I was screwed. I thought, oh my God, I got to cut bait. This is 40 years of my life already just trying to find and prove that this whale is even still alive. And I don't even know. And then a couple months later, this other scientist called me up from Scripps down in San Diego. He has his own hydrophones that he has in the ocean from Scripps, calls me up and says, hey, I think we heard your whale. And who knew it's in Santa Barbara looking for its close up, (laughs) not too far from L.A. And so that gave us the impetus to go out to the Channel Islands, do the seven day mission and go find it. But it's super complicated. If you watch the film, like we created it like this kind of heist film where you have to go out and, and do that. And it just became really interesting because they had their equipment. Like we even used repurposed hydrophones from the U.S. government that they used to 
find submarines, submarine hunters. They gave us those and we mm. used those to try and audio locate the whale. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. There's so many kind of side, side paths on this because I just watched... Another documentary based on the ocean, Finn, Eli Roth's documentary about the shark. Yeah. Finn, you know, trade uh, yes. problem. Also produced by DiCaprio. Yep. And the other documentary I just watched, all of these I've watched in the week, is called Kid 90, which is done by Soleil Moon Fry about growing up in the 90s as a, as a Hollywood celebrity. Also produced by DiCaprio. So this fucking guy is <laughs> everywhere now. <laughs> so that's why I couldn't believe it's just like DiCaprio, DiCaprio, DiCaprio. So this is because, I mean, obviously we, we, we always hear about him, but he's obviously super involved in the environment, has a real interest in the ocean as well. Yep. So I guess my question is when you said, I guess Adrian Grenier maybe attracted the Hollywood element, which so then the trades get involved, then DiCaprio yep. gets involved. Do you have any type of conversations with him about this? at all or is he just kind of a silent partner uh more of a silent partner except he's got some great people who work with him and so we called them up and like hey listen you know we have the money for this expedition we'd love for you guys to executive produce you know and it was about the ocean about ocean stewardship and it was just a cool story and so he ended up coming on board you know Mm -hmm. and a very nice guy and and really helped in terms of just like getting the word out there you know that's what you need sometimes Right. In this day and age, you need you can have your own story. But if you don't hit the people, if you don't reach the people, then, you know, you're yeah. just a lonely whale singing out <laughs> to nobody. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. That's right. Uh, it helps to have folks like that who have a huge social media presence. And, you know, one tweet from DiCaprio and suddenly 500,000 people uh, know about your whale and know about your documentary. So it's a really great thing. So you did a great job of, of as you always do, of kind of setting the tone for this. And what I mean by that is that you kind of tell the story about whales about how they've been kind of feared throughout history because they're so gigantic. And there's the story of Jonah getting swallowed by a whale and there's captain Ahab looking for Moby, but then it was suddenly what really kind of made whales popular was when we started figuring out that they sing. And then suddenly there's whale, I I believe, and you can, Go go about this and uh, elaborate on this. National Geographic put out a whale song record that was the most printed record ever of 10 million copies out of the gate or something along those lines. But that really kind of humanized them to us. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, I had I remember as a kid, I had that National Geographic and in it was this kind of like plastic floppy disk almost. And it was like a record. You can pull it out and put it on your little record player and you hear, you know, the songs (laughs) of the whales. And so when this album came out in the 1970s called Songs of the Humpback Whale and this guy put it out and it became one of the largest, you know, most successful audio nature recordings of all time and it went up on the charts like it was like under yeah, it was on billboard like charts crazy. right yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and like he told me like people used to like listen to this record put on headphones and drop acid and then they would just like listen to the, all these whale calls and it's, <laughs> it's amazing and suddenly everybody was like oh my god what is it that makes such a beautiful sound because if you listen to whale calls it's like otherworldly it's like mesmerizing it's yeah crazy 
And so they're like, it's whales. Whales are making these sounds. And people are like, wait, whales? And we're killing them? We can't kill these whales. And so that record launches both the Greenpeace, helps to launch Greenpeace, and then also kickstarts the Save the Whales movement. That movement becomes the green movement that we have today. That's the green movement that we're basically using and we're going to have to use to fight climate change. You know, look at the record heats that we're having. Look at the um, floods that we're having in Germany. Like, it's crazy. It's off the hook. And so that record actually, you get charted all the way through history, how it becomes uh, part of the green movement of today. It's interesting, yeah, because people like my wife has a sound effect machine that she uses to sleep, and yeah. one of them is the whale calls. <laughs> um, I remember Aerosmith on the uh, uh, permanent vacation record. The album starts with whale calls for hearts than time. Star Trek Four, one of the great Star, Star Trek, Trek Four, movies. huge. Yeah, talking about I think it's called the Voyage Home, maybe about yeah. humpback whales save the universe. So. It really has become part of almost pop culture, these these you know giant animals and kind of their human sides. So, so I guess when you start going out into the ocean, question number one. I mean, it's it's so obvious. How in the hell do you find a whale? Never mind the whale of number fifty-two. I guess you would call him yep. or whatever it may be. How, how do you even start? Uh, well, that's the whole thing. You know, we're like the scientists were like, look, I appreciate the fact that you have the money and we could go out and do it. But our chance of us finding this whale are like so small to find one whale. But we did have the best uh, whale trackers basically in the world. Uh, you know, first you have to know, you know, whales like people, you know, they're creatures of habit. So right. every year they come down the West Coast, you know, they start up in Alaska and they come down the West Coast to feed basically and to give birth down in the warmer waters, you know, in like Costa Rica yes. or what have you, uh, off Baja. And they make that trip every year and it's pretty much on schedule. So they had heard the 52 Hertz whale kind of traveling down and stopping in the Channel Islands right off Santa Barbara. And so we knew that the whale stops in this area basically around this time, October. So we had a good chance of at least being in the area. So we go in. We go to that area and then we start dropping these sonobuoys, these basically microphones into the ocean. They unfold like some weird creature <laughs> and you, you, they start like listening. And basically you're listening for this 52 hertz sound. At the same time, you're also looking for where all these whales aggregate, which means they all like go together to feed at the same places. That's where krill is or because of the, the waters and the, the how warm the waters are. And so you, you go to like where the whales are, which is kind of like when you go fishing, you know, you, you always know your spots. Like, yeah, right. Go fishing. Yeah, it's sure. Thing. So you're like, oh, well, they're probably going to be over here because this is a good fishing spot. And you're listening with your sonar buoys. And at the same time, you go out and you tag whales. Now, tagging might not sound pretty interesting, but when you watch it unfold, it's cool yeah, because right. they're going, <laughs> you know, they're on these boats. They're racing alongside these whales. They're waiting for the whale to pop up to take a breath. And when that happens, they have these basically cameras, these tags on these long poles with suction cups. And they wait for the whale to come up to the surface. And then they slam the thing onto the whale, hoping that it's going to stick. And then the whale goes underwater. And then they're going to track that animal you track that one whale and he'll probably lead you to groups of other large whales and probably 52 is in that group. Now he may not be able to communicate with the other whales, but kind of like a deaf person, there's some sort of communication that could go on. He could follow them. He can hang out with them. He may not understand exactly what they're saying, um, but he can hang out with them. And that's what you want to try and find. I can just see, I mean, obviously, like I said, I, I just watched the documentary and it's great, but I can just see why people would be so, you know, connected with this. It's, it's so sad for like the, the one lonely whale just going, you guys, <laughs> look at me, you know? Um, and I thought that was interesting because there's a couple great moments. Uh, well, I wouldn't know if it's great moments, but very interesting moments where the you guys pull up. Uh, I'm assuming you're on the boat, pull up next to a whale to try and tag it just as it goes underneath. 
and you miss the timing of it. You almost have to uh, synchronize it so that you're coming close just as it comes up to be yeah. able to tag it before it goes under. How long uh, does it take if it does go under? Obviously, it's a documentary, so you can edit it. But are you waiting hours for it to come up again? Or does it usually come up and down a few times? Uh, usually, it'll come up and down a few times before it like goes on a long dive. So it's like five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, 20 minute big dive. At that point, you've lost it. It's going to go right. a huge dive and come back up. And so it's it's kind of like hunting, you know, but but not sure. so negative. And it's it's like filming a stunt. You know, I used to do stunts when I was filming stunts and stuff like that when I was first started in the industry. And, you know, it's all about timing. So, like, you got to know when the whale's going to come up. You try and get close to it or maybe he like veers off. And then he'll go underwater and then you stop and you're like looking around on the horizon to wait for him to like come up again where you think he's going to come up. It's a little bit like whack-a-mole. And then you and then you'll like go towards that area and you can like chart. You can see what kind of path he's on. And then you anticipate and go to like where you think he's going to come up again. It's a crazy, crazy quest, you know, and it's a crazy like combination of things to try and go nail that, nail that thing right on the whale. And these tags are cool. They have cameras on either side. They can measure how far the whale goes down, how far it comes up, whether it's banking to the left, banking to the right. And even when you're underwater, the cameras are still going. So you can see it traveling with other whales underwater. It's nuts. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk a little more about, about so you're, you're tagging as many whales as you can, but you're hoping that one whale will attract another, that will attract another, that eventually 52 will just happen to show up. What kind of communications did you have with the loneliest whale, or at least kind of what um, what trails was he leaving to allow you to follow and try and get closer to him? Sound trails. So basically, oh, okay. because, we had, because we had a microphone at the same time listening, and these microphones... We had to put like 12 microphones in like a hundred mile radius. You create like a curtain of listening, of listening devices. And then, so if he passes through this curtain of, of listening devices, like a radar, you'll catch mm. him, you'll hear him. And then, you know, you're okay. He's, he's over here. He's like a hundred miles to the West or he's like 30 miles to the South. Like it's a crazy whole like tag thing. And so what frequency do most, is there, is there a certain frequency that most whales communicate in? Yeah. So basically the whales that we're talking about, we're not talking about humpback whales. Humpback whales are the whales that most of us know, you know, and right. those are the whales that sing these beautiful songs. These are baleen whales, basically blues and grays, and they're called low frequency whales, meaning they sing differently. It doesn't really sound like you think it does. It's kind of like a grunt, like a room, room, room. Mm. And so that's at 10 to 15 or 10 to 30 hertz. And so this whale at 52, he's like calling out like, oh, he's a, he's a little higher. You know, they said he sounded right. like Mickey Mouse if he was, a, he was another <laughs> one. And, you know, the, the whole thing was people just didn't know why this whale was calling out. Was he the first of his kind? Was he the last of his kind? Was he, did he have like a deformation? So like his larynx was like right. deformed. Was he a hybrid? Was he a cross between a blue and a fin? Was he deaf? All these, you know, all these things were on the table in terms of trying to figure out what it was. Now, basically, eventually the scientists kind of honed in and said, we believe he's a hybrid. He's a cross between a blue and a fin. Now, you know, like donkeys and, and, and asses, I guess, you know, you know, these creatures will sometimes, you know, mate uh, if, they're, if they're together and if they're like close enough in a species and so there's been a couple examples of blue and, and fin hybrids in history. Um, they actually tested some meat in a Japanese meat market that sold whale. And they were testing it for some other reason. And actually, they found out one of these was a hybrid that somebody was eating. Hmm. And so uh, there's examples of hybrids out there. And so they thought that this whale was a hybrid. You said it was a seven-day expedition. Is that seven yeah. days straight straight through? Straight nope. through. And 
you wouldn't think that these expeditions are expensive. We went out on basically a dive boat. It's called the truth. It's a dive boat. And we had all our scientists, 22 people. And they're like, it wasn't one of these huge boats. Cause for a <laughs> while there, I was going to have Ray Dalio. who's this huge finance guy. He's got an incredible, huge boat. He was going to give us his boat. But then right at the last moment, he said, sorry, you can't take it. I'm going away on vacation with oh. Bill and Melinda Gates. So we got 86 <laughs> out of that huge boat. Couldn't believe it. And uh, Sea Shepherd, the guys from Whale Wars, they were going to give us their boat, but it was going to cost too much money in gas, literally, to bring the boat from Japan over to us. And so we ended up hiring this tiny dive boat, you know, these boats that these people go out on overnight trips to go diving. It's They're tiny and it fits 22 people. You're sleeping in one of these tiny little cabins, not even a room, like it's a little like you know, like yeah. bunk bed type of thing. Right. Everybody's sleeping together. I'm like, where's all the equipment going? They're like at your feet or at your head, you know? And I couldn't believe how friggin' small these things was. And, you know, there's one shower. So like everybody rotates 22 people. So everybody's like on a shower every half an hour. So it's like your turn for the shower. And it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. And so, <laughs> you know, that's how these scientists roll. They're pretty badass in terms of like just going out there and just wanting to get what they want to get. And so it was a real kind of indie experiment in terms of like, you can see the, the expedition was pretty indie, but that was also kind of cool because when you watch these huge Nat Geo expeditions, you know, everything's really structured and like the expectations are so high. And here, because it was indie, they were like, okay, we're going to try stuff we've never tried before. You know, we're going to go totally Buck Rogers. And we're going to do stuff we've never even done before. And so it was cool because they now had the kind of leeway to, to test and do things that they had never done before. And that actually leads to really great science. You know, again, they had never tried to track a whale acoustically and then visually. It's so amazing. It's such a drag to like the, the, you're supposed to have the boat and the guy said, sorry, I'm going on vacation. It's like, come on, you got to have some sort of responsibility. You promised. <laughs> you know these guys have so much money that unfortunately if bill and melinda gates call and they want to go on the boat you know you're going to lose it and it was pretty heartbreaking you know you know when you try and get certain projects up you know they take a long time this project took 10 years you know wow. it took me four years to prove the whale was still even alive it took me another year to have to get all the the guys out to go out on the boat. And then I kept editing the project while then doing murder mountain. I come back, edit more and then went to sons of Sam came back, finally finished it and then got it to a distributor. So you kind of have a bunch of plates spinning at the same time when it comes to the movies that you're making. Oh, I have about eight to 10 different projects in different stages. And a lot of it is just because I think it's interesting. The marketplace may not say so, Right. You know, it took us a while to I had pitched Sons of Sam four times to Netflix, hmm. four times over the course of four years. And finally, like maybe after Mindhunter came out, you know, and people were like, oh, I heard Berkowitz was lying. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then they're like, oh, you have a documentary on that. Cool. Let's make that. You know, I was like, well, well where were you three years ago? That's always you know? the timing of, of Hollywood, though. Right. For sure. So let me ask you this then. If this was in the in the works, you said for 10 years, Loneliest yep. Whale, what finally was the catalyst to get it rolling? The, the fact that DiCaprio got involved or what was? Well, it's finally the fact that we got the money, you know, we yeah, got the money and that we had actually heard that 52 was still alive. Uh, the scientists wouldn't go out if, if 52, because then it'd be like, what's the point? Production. Right. Then you're just wasting exactly. money, you know, right. let's just put our money in a pile and burn it. So what were some of the kind of the highlights of being on the ship? Like, because obviously too, when you're dealing with the scientists, this is their life's work. Yeah. And you do a great job once again. And Eli did it too on, on Finn of kind of ingratiating yourself and kind of, you know, you know, forming a bond with these guys, but these guys live for this stuff. So totally. what were some of the highlights for them of like, Oh my gosh, we're getting closer or, or, Oh my gosh, we're getting further away. Like, was there kind of some moments of real clarity for you guys? Well, I think it was interesting because we had brought drones with us and they're right. like, hey, wait a second. Can we use your drones? And then I was like, yeah. And then it became really interesting because even like you, you look for little victories along the way, you know, just in case you don't find 52. And at one point, 
they were like, oh my God, we've never actually confirmed that a whale is singing because, and, and taken a picture of it because whales sing underwater. They don't sing when they get to the surface. They're mm-hmm. singing underwater. And so you can't really tell that a whale is singing and take a picture of it at the same time, except when you have a drone and then you're looking down on it. And then you can actually see it, even though it's 20, 30 feet under the ocean, you can still see the outline of it. And so because we had that GPS of the drone linked to the GPS of the microphone, we knew, aha, we are actually taking a picture of a singing whale. That has never been done before. And so there's all these cool things. You know, what's really amazing is how little these scientists know about whales. And, you know, they were explaining stuff to me and I would be like, oh, well, you know, whales do this. And you obviously know whales do this. So that's why we should be doing this. Right. And they're like, "Mm, let me stop you there. We don't know that whales do that. I was like, how do you not know that whales do this? And they'd be like, look, you know, whales are we don't have them in captivity. Okay, they're out in the huge ocean. You know, and if you go and when you go, you'll see how hard it is to be able to, like, do experiments with them. You can't talk to them and test with them. So there is so much we don't know about these whales. The other thing is, and this is really interesting, whales' primary sense is not sight, it's sound. So these guys, all their, everything they do is listening. So whales, for example when they're calling out and receiving responses back and they're using echolocation, they're swimming around the ocean and they are mapping the ocean floor as they go in 4D in their brains Hmm. through sound. They're not seeing the ocean floor Hmm. because it's totally dark down there. They can't penetrate it, but they're still creating maps with sound and they're in 4D and in their brains. That's unbelievable to think that that's actually happening. That's so much more cool than anything we could do. Well, so so far advanced, exactly, from sensory perceptions, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's why people are like, who knows how intelligent they are? You know, the interesting thing is you brought up Star Trek Four previously. Well, you know, when Voyager, we sent the deep probe Voyager out, they made this record, right? And on this record is like all the languages and all these pictures. And it was this record in case it went to aliens that they could basically try and figure out who we were if they found this record. Well, one of the things on this record is whale songs Mm. because we don't know what an alien is going to look like. We have no idea. Right, 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 right. Not to give away the the, kind of the final part of the movie, but it it does have a positive twist at the end of it. When you go, for example, I've done one documentary and it was about long story short, about about a band that had a huge fan base in Germany that had no idea existed 30 years after they broke up. And these guys broke up and went and became businessmen and and had no idea. So they got back together and after 30 years, after not playing in any other band, because they had this huge fan base in Germany they didn't know about. And I thought when I sent the camera crew, this is either going to be one of the most uplifting follow your dreams because they come true stories or it's going to be a total shit show and it's just going to be a mess. And I don't know which one it's going to be. Thankfully, it turned out to be they were really actually popular and it was amazing follow your dream story. When you go out to do this movie of, of, of The Loneliest Whale, there's two ways. One, you find it, you have a great ending, something along those lines, or you find nothing and ends up you end up with shit but you don't know what you're going to get as a true documentarian. What do you do if you could never find this 52 and had no idea where it was and what it was going to do and all the money goes away and you're left with this? Like you said, it's always a gamble, you know, like documentaries are a gamble. And I've had a couple documentaries that I spent years on and it's like, uh, you know what? That's just not going to play. You know, it didn't work. You know, you always want to have like, like a competition, you know, like if you're for, let's say for example, like spelling bee, right. And, you know, and you're going to go in, you want five different camera crews to follow the five people who you think are going to win the spelling bee. Right. (laughs) But if not one of your folks doesn't win, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. You might have to shelve that project. And so it's always a gamble. Um, And so we knew at the end of the day that it was a great journey. It was really exciting. Thank God, not giving away the ending. You know, it was it was 
we always thought it was either we find the whale or we don't find the whale and that's it. But we actually found out that there was another ending that we had no idea. Right. It ends up in the middle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's the whole thing about making documentaries. Like you go in with a plan, but you got to be open in case you don't know what's going to sure. That's a great point. You have to be able to go with the flow because you're following the story that is unfolding on camera that sometimes you had no idea was going to be there. That's very interesting to me. You just got to roll with it. You know, there's a famous story about a documentary called Capturing the Freedmen's. Crazy fuck documentary about a, a family of pedophiles. And mm. this guy was making a documentary about birthday clowns. And, uh, you know, he's wow. literally, that was the start. It was about birthday clowns. And at the end of it, after one of these interviews with like the most famous birthday clown in New York City, the guy sits down and he's like, look, you know, this is really interesting, but like, I have a story about my family that's crazy. And in the middle of it, he starts to tell the story about this family, the Freedmans, and how his dad was busted for like abusing kids in a computer class. <clears throat> and the whole story just shifted, you know, and then he made this crazy documentary, which is totally worth seeing. Capturing yeah, I, have to, I haven't seen that. I have to watch oh, it. Bonkers. But, you know, that's the whole thing. You got to be able to roll with it. You don't know where these stories are going to take you. And so you got to have a plan, but then you got to be able to change that plan. Yeah, I mean, some of the greatest documentaries, if you, if you tell, even some kind of monster, the Metallica totally. documentary, let's do a documentary on the making of this new record. It ends up, the band breaks up during it. And I'm sure as a documentarian, <laughs> like, this is great, but now we better find some money because we got five more years of stuff to film now. You and know? Joe Berlinger, when filming that, he, I think he filmed close to 12,000 hours Jeez. worth of footage. With so, so for you, how, how many hours did you film? Was it just the seven day expedition where you filmed it? No, the, the, the story was originally going to be about this epidemic of loneliness that theoretically is, was going on right now because of like the, the way in which our families are changing and our lifestyles are changing. And that would have been good for the pandemic. But we ended up like shifting and being like, you know what? Loneliness, it's interesting. And everybody feels lonely at some times in their lives, but it's kind of a bummer. So let's not make the documentary about that. Let's make the documentary about going out on a quest to find a whale, like a modern day Moby Dick. So we mm. shifted in the middle. So what is the difference between making like, let's, let's say more of a historical documentary, for example, like sons of Sam. Yep. Uh, and then doing loneliest whale, which is unfolding as, as you, you go. go. Right. Yeah. Well, what, the whole what, point, it's a good question even if you're making historical documentary and you're making that documentary for people, people are going to be like, okay, why now? What's the relevance of, of, of now? And, and now was, you know, Maury Terry had in the sons of Sam, this guy, Maury Terry had passed away and he left me all his stuff. Right. Right. But you have to make that, you have to make that interesting. You have to make that unfolding. And so we were able to follow Maury Terry's life with all this footage that we had. And so we were able to unfold Maury Terry's life as if, as it's, as if we're like there with it unfolding. So you just have to have all these different techniques and you have to have footage. You know, a lot of it is having the footage. Everybody will talk about a documentary, but it's like, no, I, I've got these tapes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or I've just, you know, watched this band, you know, implode for basically right. you know, three years. Like you have to have the footage that's going to allow you to tell the story. Are you involved in the editing of, of your documentaries? All the time. Yeah. So, 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 is that difficult, especially in a project like this with the loneliness web? Because obviously it's a slippery slope because when you get into this sort of uh, of story, you have to have the scientists who are talking kind of the, the mumbo jumbo that a guy like me has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. But you have to tell that story. But you also have to show a lot of action and a lot of whales. And I mean, it seems like it'd be kind of a real... Uh, interesting, you know, uh, scale that you have to put all the different exact weights on to balance it properly. That's the huge thing. You know, that's why, like, you'll see when you're in edit rooms, there's like note cards, right? And they'll have note cards on the wall and everything is like color coded. And it's like, okay, you know, we've got 10 minutes of being on the boat and action about finding it. Then we can do like five minutes of like green cards, mm. which are like going back in history to show why this is now more relevant. And then we'll go back to the boat for another 10 minutes. And then we'll go on this diversion. Our whales, you know, 
can you, can they even feel, you know? And so you're, you're kind of always making sure that you have the right thing, the right amount of this story, the right amount of that story and the right amount of that story. And that's really like where the editing comes in because it's a balance, but it's not always exact. It's not like 50, it's not like 25, 25, 25, 25%. It's sometimes for a certain type of movie, you know, you have to have 65% action adventure expedition and 40% going back in history and sparsing that out. So it's really refining, 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 refining. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Can't to talk more about the whales again, Mike. I've been on whale expeditions, but you're on a kind of a bigger boat and that sort of thing. There's some of these encounters where the whales are right beside you guys. These are giant creatures. How is that just to see that? Is there any fear? Was there any dangerous moments, even of a wave coming up? You know, kind of explain some of that. Well, number one, you're out on the open ocean, which is a totally different experience. Like you think you're ballsy, you know, hey, I can swim. But mm, <laughs> when you're out in the middle of the ocean where there's nothing around, you're just on this little ribbed hull inflatable and like, you know, and I, sometimes like I would look over the side and see like a hammerhead shark just swim by. Yeah. And so you're just like, oh, my God, this is nuts. Yeah. And so when you're out on the open ocean, it's a whole different ballgame. The waves are super high. And sometimes, you know, the weather's horrible. Like if you fall over, like it is not easy to get you back on that boat. Right. So number one, it's dangerous. Number two, like when you see these whales, suddenly like what will happen a lot of times is like somebody new to the game will go up and they'll see the whale and then they'll be like, holy shit, this animal's huge. And they'll forget what they're doing. Mm. So you have to go in and be like, all right, keep your head in the game. You know, we're here to tag this whale. Right. And, and so, you know, they're just immense creatures. And again, like one of the things we did before shooting is we always ask people the same question. Do you remember the first time you saw a whale? And all these people have their stories the first time they saw a whale and how like magical or majestic or scary or freaked out they were about it. And these creatures are leviathans. Like it is, if you're in the water, like, and they roll over or they decide to open their mouths, like you just heard that story about the fisherman who got sucked into a whale's mouth and then spit back out. Yeah, that uh, just happened recently, right? Yeah, this happened like three weeks ago. He's like, he's, I was in there, you know, and then the whales, you know, thank God. He said he like, was sw- it got all dark and then it got all <laughs> light again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, or like, you know, a whale just playing, right, basically goes, shoots out of the water and then slams down in its back. It's called breaching. Well, you know, if you happen to be anywhere near that, that boat, that whale can totally flip your boat right over. Oh, completely. Uh, so, so it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Did you ever have any moments of that at all? I mean, there were a lot of times when like, you know, you're trying to get close, you wrap your leg around the ribbed, you know, the ribbed hull inflatables, like lines to like get close. And then suddenly it hits a bump and you're like almost go over, you know, and it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, people lose cameras all the time filming whales. It's a crazy experience. You mentioned that you kind of were always into Jacques Cousteau as a kid and that sort of thing. And and you're obviously making this documentary um, for 52, but also probably for your own personal, you know, knowledge of whales. What did you learn about whales that you didn't know before? Well, first of all, I learned how little we know about them. Secondly, Hmm. how crazy cool they are in terms of, you know, there's these creatures that just roam the oceans and, and, you know, they're not like cows, you know, they're not like stupid, like they're wicked smart. And, you know, they're like elephants and and things like that. Or, and so there's that. And, and plus like people just get really weirdly emotional when talking about, well, so like weirdly enough, I know it sounds kind of whatever, but I learned to be a better person, you know, Mm. like I learned, I learned, I did, I did. It's crazy. It's a big statement. It was like listening and listening and listening. 
you know, the whole thing is like listening for 52 and, and listening because if we li- take the time to listen, whether it's to the ocean or to each other, you know, uh, that you're going to be a better person. And I, ironically, that's the key to never being lonely. The key to never being lonely is to listen. Mm-hmm. If you're a good listener, people are going to want to hang out with you because you, you listen to them. You, you hear what they're saying. You acknowledge what they're saying. And so I think that's really, you know, important about there. And then, you know, just like our fascinating history, like I love Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I love Moby Dick. You know, and all mm. these just cool stories, the idea of going out on a quest, you know, we don't do that anymore. Right. Like, like who does that? You know, mm. so the interesting thing is, who am I? I'm nobody. You know, I'm just a guy who makes documentaries, but I had an idea. Suddenly, so, you know, Adrian Grenier is like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's see if we get some money. And suddenly it's $440,000 later. We're going out on an expedition, you know, and right. so anybody could do that. Anybody could be an explorer. And, you know, if you have a good story, that's all you really need to, you know, to go out there and raise those funds and do what you want to do. Were you like, because um, like I said, the, the thing that I took away from this documentary, besides just it's a great story, and you do do a really good job of of showing kind of the dichotomy between a lonely whale. You know, I love those. You, sh- you show the, the whale and you show like just a, a guy walking down a busy street, but it's just himself. Like he's by himself. Comparing the the human condition yeah. with the whale condition, but I, I go back to it: the cinematography, especially those drone shots. It's such a, a, obviously you were expecting to get it, but were you expecting to get those shots as great as they are? Because there is some giant whales coming right underneath your camera. Uh, well, so to be honest, like you know, it's always. As a director, you're also like, well, do I have enough money for this? Do I have enough money right. for that? You know, am I going to need more money for editing? And so at some point, I think they, they turned to us and they said, look, you know, the drones, they're going to be about 20 grand because weirdly enough, it's first of all, taking a drone up, it may seem like a big deal. But when you're dealing with whales, they're endangered creatures. So you have to have two license, two, two licensed pilots to run the drone. Hmm. Okay. This license, is not you in like, your backyard fly, just going up. Two licensed licensed airline pilots. Licensed pilots doesn't it, whether that's airline pilots or like you know like a small Cessna, but they're pilots. Oh, they're pilots. Basically. Why yeah. is that? Because you're in airspace. Oh, uh, wow. These are endangered cre- creatures. By okay. the way, you know what I'm saying. You can't be dropping you know a huge drone over a whale. You know, gotcha. then the government's going to come in on you and be like, oh, you're you know, you're killing endangered creatures, right, 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 right. you know, so, so it's all super on the up and up. And so it was going to cost like $20,000. And I was like, you know what, maybe we don't need these drones. <laughs> Which you can see the film, it's like the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> it's so the best part. Yeah. Make mistakes all the time. I was like, maybe we don't need these drones. And they're like, all my crew is like, you know what, I think you're wrong on this one. And I think we're going to have to override you and say, yeah, we're going to need these drones. And so thank God we did because, you know, going, showing a whale, but then even more so, you know, one of the big things is ocean noise pollution and the fact that all these boats create ocean noise pollution. You wouldn't think ocean noise pollution is a big deal. However, I live in New York City. And if if I'm woken up by a car alarm going off, I will literally open the window, find something (laughs) huge and heavy, and I'm trying to smash that windshield as best that I can. And I don't care, you know, if the cops are going to show up at the door, I will smash that windshield. And so it's like that for whales in the ocean all the time, all these sounds, or um, let's say you go to a party and there's, you know, somebody you want to hook up with and you start talking to them, but the music's too loud. And you're like, Hey, let's go outside. We can talk. Well, whales can't go outside. Okay. So they have this huge amount of noise that's always going because the propellers are so big and it drives them nuts. And so we didn't know it, but ocean noise pollution is a huge thing. So that's another important part of the story. And we were able to take these drones and go over these ships and just show how big and huge they are. That's another thing. Like, you have no idea how big a shipping container is. It's the size of the Empire State Building laid down. That's unbelievable. That's a skyscraper on its side. Mm -hmm. That was really really interesting when you showed the one – 
the one shipping boat going into LA filled with cars or whatever it was yeah and explaining just how and once again just to kind of reiterate what you just said but 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 that there's so much traffic from all of these giant boats and the noise those boats make interferes with the whales communication with the whales hearing with the whales sensory perceptions and like you said does kind of mess them up well then there's all these stories and this just recently happened a boat pulled in to la harbor and on its bow, because it's going so fast, there's like a dead whale and a dead calf on the bow of the boat. Oh my gosh, like is it like onto it. it? Yeah, it just basically hits it and it just drags it along. Wow. Like a train and a car. And so, but you don't even know it because these things are so huge. It hits a whale, 100 ton creature, and it, you don't even yeah. feel it. And so they'll get into port and then they'll stop. And then some guy will be like, uh, bro. You got a huge whale on the front yeah. of your boat that you've killed and didn't even know it. That's something else that you said that the whales sometimes have problems staying out of the way of yeah. these giant, like they can't figure it out or whatever it is. Or they, they don't have the perception to be able to do that. They can't move fast enough. Like, gotcha, like gotcha. They don't go that fast. Right. And then when, when there's a sound that's coming, basically that's filling your soundscape. So let's say that, um, you know, uh, you know, a train is running along and it's and it's and shooting its horn, but like because you're underwater, the sound is coming from everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Not just directionally, like behind you. It kind of comes from everywhere because of how the waves work in water. You can't, you don't know if that boat is coming from behind you or in front of you, and so you basically kind of look up at the last moment, and suddenly you get slammed by a boat. Yes, yeah, they're too big to move that fast, right? Uh, last, last couple questions for you, man. Um, did you ever have a, a time when you were kind of like, okay, we've got $440,000. We're reaching the end of this budget. We're not going to have enough money. Or were you able, was there anything that came up where, where you had to pay more money than you expected, which kind of threw your whole projection off? Well, you always pay more money than you expect. Like, there's <laughs> all these things that you have no idea about. You're like, really that? I didn't know we'd have to pay for that. You know? Right. So, but we knew we had seven days and uh, from that we were able to get, you know, put together a rough cut and then go out with that rough cut to then finish the movie. So oh, we had wow. the expedition uh, and we cut that part together and some of the greatest hits of the expedition. And then we went out to another round of financiers and said, okay, we've got this. Now we just have to build the stuff around it. Mm. Like you talked about the guys going in slow motion in New York city. Right. So that, reference is from this crazy movie in the 1970s called Koinoskotsky. And it's about, uh, it means it's an Indian term and it means world out of balance. And it's just this, and again, like another film that like people would like get high to and just watch because it's all slow motion of people walking and trains mm. going by and like buildings exploding. It's nuts. And uh, highly recommend everybody see it. it's called Koinoskotsky and uh 1970s and it's just like volcanoes in slow motion things <laughs> buildings being exploded in slow motion and then like and then people walking in new york city in slow motion you see them all in, like their 1970s outfits it's totally how cool. do you spell that <laughs> it's, it's it's the craziest spelling i know it's like k-o-y-n-s-k-i-a-a-i -A -A -I. it's called koinoskotsky Hold on. I'm going to see if I can spell it. I remember hearing about that on Siskel and Ebert, probably in the early 80s. Yes. And I haven't heard it since, but I remember Koinoskotsky. I remember hearing that along with like Fitzcarraldo and all those movies they yeah. used to talk about. <laughs> Koinoskotsky. It's, it's just that it's a, a crazy, it's just a crazy film. Totally recommend seeing it. Koinoskotsky with a K. Like K.O.Y. Yep. Like, it's all these here, like monks singing Koinoskotsky. It's like buildings explode. Here it is. K-O-Y-A-A-N-I-S-Q-A-T-S-I. <laughs> That'll be in the next. You want to do a spelling bee documentary. That'll be the totally. final uh, The final one. I remember that Koinoskotsky. Holy smokes. I haven't thought of that term in 40 years. And then the last thing, uh, well, one of the last things I was going to ask you, you mentioned about, you know, governments and, and very much protective of whales and you can't fly drones over the top. Did you ever have any opposition to doing this film either beforehand or even while you were on the water doing it? 
Um, no, we didn't have any opposition. They just wanted to make sure that we weren't just going out there for the sake of going out there. We wanted to make sure we were doing good science alongside of what we were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, the scientists are very protective, you know, and, and they want to make sure that, you know, we're, everything is on the up and up. So it was that part of it. You know, some people are like, why are you going in the whales? And it's like, well, we're not really the whales. Like we're learning about whales as mm -hmm. we're doing this. So they want to make sure that you're not kind of doing that. But like you have to stay outside of there's a sanctuary that's there as well. So you can't go in and film in the sanctuary. We had to be right on the sanctuary line, even in the air. So like we couldn't go into the sanctuary airspace. Like there's a lot you need to do when, when doing an expedition like this, it is not easy. So once the movie is done and now it's available, I actually even saw it's playing the theaters and that sort of thing. I think I asked you the same question for sons of Sam. Do you make the documentary first and then sell it? Or was there interest from different companies as you were making it? What's the procedures? Of that? Um, well, in this one, we made it and then sold it, mm. you know, but you also, you know, that they say you need comps. And when they say comps, it's comparisons. Right. And so if you're going to make a documentary and you're going to go out there, you're going to try and financing. A lot of people are going to say, well, what's your comparison? So my comparison was the Cove or um, Blackfish. You know, there's a comparisons that people can look at that they could kind of model how successful they think your documentary is going to be. And so, you know, that's something that you 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 really want to do and and you kind of want to know beforehand. You can't just like go try and raise money. You have to have a pretty good plan, especially for something like this, because it is very much nature related. And, and you're thinking like I know Finn was on Discovery Plus, for example, and yep. it seems like there's certain niches of, of of the market where people go, okay, this is a whale movie, which would be a very specific market, I'm sure, at first. I don't know anything about whales. I watched it because obviously I'm a fan of your movies, and it's very well done, and that's why we're talking about it today. But like you said, you have to get the word out to people that might not be whale enthusiasts. Yeah. Distributors will say, if I'm like, well, this is going to go for all the whale enthusiasts. They're like, look, if we're going for whale enthusiasts, you're, you lost. Yeah, right. And they're like, you already have those people. It's a right. whale movie. You they're going to watch it no matter people. what. Yeah. Your goal is to get everybody else. So, you know, a friend of mine was making a movie about motorcycles. He's like, there's so many motorcycle people around the world. They're like, yeah, I know. Those people are already factored in. It's how do you get everybody yeah. who doesn't have a motorcycle to watch your motorcycle documentary? And then you're like, oh. <laughs> you're pretty <Right>. smart <laughs> well no it's the same thing even this even talk is jericho i mean this has never been a wrestling podcast because the idea is yes those fans will listen let's expand their horizons and here we are almost 800 episodes later it's worked out fairly well but because you have the diverse topics that people might not really want to delve into until they know a little bit more which is exactly the the, the audience that you're going for yeah that's right and then that, that helps do cross you know, like you with music, you right. know, or, or anything, you know, it, it kind of helps. Then you could stretch, then you could like, you know, stretch out and do other things, you know, maybe do a book, do a graphic novel, you know, like, you know, having that fan base is really important and working that fan base is really important because then it allows you to do all sorts of other things and people will come along, you know, mm -hmm. I do true crime. I do a lot of true right. crime. How do I get somebody who's interested in weed and murder to watch a movie about a whale? That's the challenge. See, but that's also interesting for you. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you that as well. You are known for the true crime genre. Yeah. But it's also smart for you to do this type of movie because then you don't get stereotype cast yeah. as the, you know, oh, the true crime guy. What he what does he know about whales? Because I think yeah. as far as I know, unless there's some that I don't haven't seen, that this is pretty much your fourth documentary, maybe, at least on a major scale. Yeah, uh, I think my fifth. Yeah, fifth. Yeah. Okay, so because I did so, Propsy, Killer Legends, Long gotcha. Island, uh, Killing Season, Murder Mountain, and then Sons of Sam. So that's six, I think, and this is seven. So was that something that you were thinking about too? That you have to kind of expand your horizons so you don't yes, get caught in a box. Very much yeah. so. Like yeah. you know, true crime's great, but like you know, you got to try something every now and then. Mm -hmm. You got to try get something new. Did you get final uh, approval, final notes from, from Adrian and from, from Leonardo? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to give you their opinion for sure. 
was there anything that that let's say like DiCaprio said or or, or Adrian said where the you were completely off the mark and you had to switch it? Um, you know, early on, I think you know, early on they want they wanted to make sure that it was emotional and not too like sad. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. it's the loneliest one in the world. Yeah, it could be sad. Sure, but, like <laughs> right. let's make something that's like action orientated. Like I was like, I'm gonna make the happiest lonely whale movie ever <laughs> <laughs> well you did because like we said because of what you got from it the end does have a very positive twist which is great too because you don't want to it's like i told you with i'm too old for this shit my documentary if it would have ended up being a giant shit show it's not a fun documentary to watch nobody no, wants to no. watch that you know <laughs> these guys go over and their dreams are crushed for the second time it's like thank goodness it went the other way and same same for you as well yeah so what do you have uh what, what what plates do you have spinning now for your next uh, project? That is a very good question. We will have to see, but I think um something about Lyme disease. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Something about Lyme disease, there's a crazy mystery there. Uh and then uh there is a kind of part two to the son of Sam series, if you will, another extension of my little kind of cropsy Marvel universe Mm -hmm. that goes through. How how did that go over sons of Sam? Did you get a lot of, yeah, great. You know, it was really interesting to see, you know, you're, you're battling history, you're battling press narratives, you know, suddenly I come out there and say, look, the story that so many people knew son of Sam, the guy with the barking dog, like that's, he's known as the guy who said a barking dog told me to kill these people. Right. Um, and suddenly you're coming out there and being like, uh, 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 no, it's not that. And the NYPD covered it up and all this other stuff. Like you're going to run into a lot of walls, right? People are going to call you up and they're going to be pissed. Like I got a lot of calls from a lot of old NYP detectives, you know, saying like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah, about. You better watch <laughs> it, kid. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I did that case. And I was like, well, then why did you ask this question? Why'd you miss this thing? Why'd you miss that? And then they're like, you know, like, Hey, you know what? You just probably want to make money from Netflix. Fuck you. You know? And I was like, bro, first of all, you don't know. <laughs> you obviously you don't do documentaries. You know <laughs> well, Josh, uh, like I said, I'll watch all your documentaries and this is a great one. Uh, the loneliest whale. And, um, I'm sure the next project you have, you'll be back and, uh, we'll continue the, uh, discussions about all your diverse topics all right great stuff man thank you good talking to you bud you too take care always a pleasure